We are continuing today with our summer series, Biblical or Bogus, taking a closer look at some things that people think are in the Bible, but they aren't, and some other things that are in the Bible, but maybe don't mean what we think they mean. Most of you are aware, I think, of the, uh, the terrible tragedy that struck our community last Thursday evening, two young men killed in a terrible accident. We were just finishing supper Thursday evening, and uh, Chief Redmond called and asked me to come to the home of one of the young men, so I, I went and spent some time with them that evening, really just, just, just moments after they had been told about the accident. So I was there while friends and family members and neighbors were learning about the tragedy, hearing about it, and coming by to, to express their sympathies. I was in somewhat of a unique position uh, being there in that I got to hear variations of the same conversation over and over and over. Uh, people came in and uh, obviously they were, they were um, sorrowful and, and upset and they would say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, especially to the, to the boy's father, I'm so sorry. They would say, how are you doing? Well, how do you think he was doing? Barely able to, to, to choke out a response between the, the sobs and, and the ragged breaths. He, he, he said over and over, he said, not good. I don't know what to do. I've never hurt like this before. It feels so awkward, doesn't it? To be there in, in a situation like that. I mean, we know. We're, we're well-meaning. We're, we're well-intentioned to people. and We know we ought to say something that we think will help. Something comforting. Something encouraging. But we, we don't know exactly what to say. And so, so many times... Last Thursday, I heard, again, variation on these words. People would say, well, we just have to remember, God won't put more on you than you can bear. The problem was, it sure looked like that wasn't true. This man was devastated. I watched him cry until he made himself physically sick. I watched him light one cigarette off the end of another, his hands trembling the entire time. More than once I saw him stand up to go do something and then having completely forgotten what it was he was going to do, he would just slump back down in his chair, his head in his hands, confused and consumed by overwhelming grief. And I found myself getting angry. I know that will surprise some of you, but... I found myself feeling protective. I, I wanted to shield this man from comments that made it seem like there was something wrong with him if he could not bear the death of his 14-year-old son. You know, none of those people meant to be cruel. None of them meant to mislead. They were just trying to encourage they were just trying to comfort and help a broken man. They were trying to tell him, hang in there, don't give up. <laughs> the problem is they were practicing theology without a license. Think about it. They were making a definitive statement about God, about who God is and what God does. It was similar to saying God is holy. That's a statement about God's character and his, his makeup, who he is. It was similar to saying God is love. That's, again, that's God's character. It's who he is, what he does. 
or saying God has promised he will never leave us or forsake us. What they were doing is they were making a definitive statement about the character and the nature of God. The huge difference is that all those other statements are found in the Bible, but we can search the scriptures until our eyes cross and we will never find the statement, God will not put more on you than you can bear. It's bogus. It's not biblical. I've been fighting this battle for 25 years. <laughs> I'll mention that in a sermon or, 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 or a small group or when we had Wednesday night Bible studies here, I would, I would say that, I would make that statement. And buddy, it would just fire people up. They'd grab their Bibles, you know, blow the dust off of them, open them up. They were all creaky where they hadn't been opened in years, you know, and, and they would open them up and kind of flex the binding so the pages didn't all fall out in the heap at their feet. And they'd start flipping. And they would search the concordance, and then they'd get their, they'd get their husband or their wife's Bible because theirs might be defective. They just knew it was in there somewhere. Give me your Bible. It's got to be in there. But it's not. I took that man aside before I left and I said to him, feel what you feel. Okay? Your grief and your pain is more than justified. And, and there is nothing wrong with you. And your friends mean well and they really care about you. They just don't know what they're talking about. Your pain is more than you can endure alone. And in fact, your only hope, if you're going to make it through the next few hours, days, weeks, is if you lean on God and depend on Him. Last week we said that the phrase God helps those who help themselves is most often said in kind of a harsh accusatory tone. It's kind of a judgmental statement, isn't it? But to say God won't put more on you than you can bear is it's, it's almost always spoken out of a heart of compassion out of deep concern. It's not a, a critical statement. It's intended to be kind. It's intended to, to be helpful. And I think the reason that so many people believe the Bible says God won't put more on you than you can bear is because there is a scripture that almost says that. Man, it gets like that close. And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. All these scriptures are in, your, uh, in the message insert in your bulletin. They're up on the screen. Of course, they're in your own Bible. This is the gotcha verse. Those people that want to argue with me about this, this is the one they come up with. And Then I point a couple words out to them. And their little faces fall and they look so sad. And I take great pleasure in that. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. There's a whole sermon in that, folks. Each of us think our temptations are like so unique. Nobody else is going through what I'm going through. Please, we're not that special. The temptation in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Did you see it? Almost says it. Remove a couple words and we'd be there. God in his faithfulness will not allow the temptation to be more than we can stand. 
And I don't know if you read that like I do, and you go, oh, hang on a second. Okay, um, can I have God won't put more on you than you can bear back? I'd rather have that. Because this verse clearly means that when we are tempted to murder, oh, I never, I, I never struggle with that one, Pastor Scott. Okay. To adultery, no, we don't have any problem with that. To steal, no. To cheat, no. To backbite, what now? To worry, to cause division, to gossip. We can never say, God, I, well, I'm sorry about that. That was just more than I could bear. That was more than I could endure, God. That, that's not the case. God always shows us a way out of temptation. There is always a point in any temptation. I don't care what it is. I don't care who you are, where you can say, I don't have to think this. I don't have to go there. I don't have to do this. I don't have to behave in this way. Always. This don't look very hard. And the Bible also says this. In James chapter 1. The Bible says that God doesn't tempt us. James 1 verse 13 says, Remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. You know what that means? That, that means that if we ever hear anybody say that they gave in to temptation because it was more than they could withstand, or that God was testing them with a temptation, they're lying. They're not being truthful. But the truth is, ordinarily, we don't say God won't put more on you than you can bear when we're talking about temptation, do we? We, we use it when somebody's going through pain, emotional, physical, spiritual pain, relational pain. And so the, the questions that we need answers to are questions like this. Will we ever experience trouble and stress and pressure that is more than we can bear? And, and if we do, what do we do in the face of that? How do we react and respond to that? That's what we want to know. So today I want to offer four observations that I think will help us answer those questions. Four observations about the statement, God won't put more on you than you can bear. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Christians can absolutely face unbearable pain and pressure. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know where the idea came from. That if you were a Christian, life was going to be easy. No trouble, no pain, no problems. Stress-free, wrinkle-free. But it's just... It's just not true. It is, it, I'm not just talking about my experience. It is observably not true. And yet some people live in that fantasy world. And guess what else? They're experts at making you and I feel sub-Christian if we're going through anything, if we're struggling or having problems. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that all of us would agree that the Apostle Paul was a Christian. Right? Anybody want to dissent on that? I didn't think so. 
The Apostle Paul was a true follower of Jesus. And yet you can't get around it. The scriptural record is, is abundantly clear that in his life and in his ministry, Paul faced troubles and pressures and trial and pain that was so severe that he could not bear it. He couldn't bear it alone. Listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed, watch this, beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. The old King James says, we despaired even of life. But as a result... We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Paul says, you want to talk about pain and pressure and problems? Do you really want to have that discussion? Man, I have been through stuff in my life as a Christian and in my ministry that I thought was going to kill me. I thought death looked better than what I was facing. And I found out that I was powerless to help myself. That the, the weight was more than I could bear. And I wouldn't be here today if I had not learned to depend on God. And if God had not delivered me. Later on, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul talks about some of the other trouble that he faced. He said, I, I have worked harder been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Now, we've talked about this many times. They gave, that was a mercy rule. 39 lashes was a mercy rule because the Jews thought that 40 would kill you, would kill a person. So they stopped at 39. He says three times, verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Now that was Roman. And there was no mercy rule with the Romans. When you were beaten with rods, you were tied up with your hands over your head and, and weight attached to your feet so that you could not kick and move. And you were beaten. They, they did have one rule somewhat merciful. The stick they beat you with could be no bigger than a man's thumb. And they beat you with it until you were unconscious. Three times, Paul says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Hey, and that's not, right? <laughs> that means they took big old rocks and threw them at him. Yeah, they bound your hands and your feet and they knelt you down and they surrounded you and they had these rocks in their hands. And they, just, they threw them at you. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced dangers in the cities, in the deserts, 
and on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul had planted 16 to 20 churches across the Mediterranean basin. He was responsible for that. He had raised, he'd preached the gospel there. He had, he'd, he'd, people had been saved. He had raised up these churches. He had left people behind to pastor and, and do evangelism. And he said, I, I have all that to worry about on top of everything else that I've been through. Now, let's make sure this is our Paul, right? This is New Testament Paul. This is the Apostle Paul, T.A. Paul. Filled with the Holy Spirit who told us, follow me as I follow Christ. Undeniably, up against pressure and trial and trouble that was beyond his ability to endure. Man, I, I wonder what Paul would make of a theology. The kind of theology that you see on TV or, or hear on Christian radio that tells Christians that if they have enough faith, they will never suffer or be in want, or have pain. It's a lie. They can call it the prosperity gospel. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because here's why. Not only does it not work here, it doesn't work in the third world. You tell parents who've buried their third or fourth child, Christian parents whose children have died from starvation, God wants you rich. You'll be lucky to get out of there with your life. If it won't work in the third world, then it's not the gospel. Do you hear me? Don't be sucked into that stuff. Sometimes the most faithful people we know can go through pain that is so deep that it is more than they can bear. And they don't just hit the bottom, they crash right through it. And sure, we tell them, God won't put more on you than you can bear because we want to be kind, but we miss, we miss this second observation, is that often it creates guilt and confusion. Often it's not comforting at all. It creates guilt and confusion and condemnation because it makes people who are already broken and struggling it makes them feel second rate it, it makes them feel like they're defective because they passed the breaking point they, they've heard this this pseudo gospel pseudo theological lie so many times that they assume if they aren't able to bear up under everything that comes their way something must be wrong with them in its most extreme cases, it will cause people to wall themselves off and not seek help. Because why should they need help? God won't put more on you than you can bear. You can handle this. Not long ago, I read about a lady named Ellie Peterson who very suddenly found herself facing a nightmare. She was babysitting her four-year-old granddaughter while the mother ran some errands. 
They're out in the yard playing with one of those uh, inflatable balls, and Ellie threw it, and the wind kind of caught it, took it over the little girl's head and out into the street. Before Ellie could stop her, the little girl dodged between two parked cars and out into the street for the ball. Never saw the car that hit her. Ellie was sitting in the ER waiting for the child's parents to arrive. One of her good close friends from church, Rebecca, who had heard the, the bad news, rushed to the hospital to console her. And again, her desire was to say something helpful and comforting, something good. But Rebecca said, pull yourself together, Ellie. Remember, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And listen to what Ellie Peterson writes. The words hit me like a sledgehammer. Instantly, thoughts and feelings swirled around my brain until I thought I would pass out. Was I supposed to bear this? Was I less of a Christian because I could not? How dare Rebecca speak so smugly, so sanctimoniously to me? It wasn't her granddaughter lying there, broken. Shame was added to my guilt and despair. My grief was multiplied as condemnation was heaped on my shoulders. All in the name of kindness. Folks, more people than we realize are living past the breaking point. More people than we realize are living with unbearable pressure and pain. Maybe they're struggling with the death of a child. Two families in our community are this weekend. Or maybe it's the death of a spouse. Maybe it's a, a separation or a divorce. Or a job loss. Or a cancer diagnosis. Or a, an unfaithful spouse. Or a teenager involved in drugs. Or a parent with Alzheimer's. We are literally surrounded by people whose hearts are broken and crushed. Whose homes are falling apart. And when they hear, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And they feel ashamed and condemned. And they think something must be wrong with me. It also creates confusion about who God is. It says that God puts trouble and adversity into our life to shape us up somehow. Do you realize that you've just turned God into a sadistic jerk who plays games with his kids? Mind games? You know, I am as imperfect as a dad can be, and yet I would never, ever knowingly inflict pain on my children. I don't, I don't think any of us would. Not normal, rational people anyway. And God's work in our lives, you've got to hear me now, God's work in our lives is love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and mercy and kindness, not inflicting suffering. Will you just do me a favor? The next time there's a, nat a natural disaster that destroys part of a major city, please don't come tell me it was God's judgment on that city. God's wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. It wasn't poured out in New Orleans or New York or Charleston or anywhere else. Las Vegas. 
the suffering in our world comes from the consequences of living in a fallen world. God doesn't put suffering on us, but He created us as, as free moral agents, right? With the ability to think and choose and make decisions. And that's where most of our suffering comes from. From our own bad decisions or someone else's bad decisions. Hey, God just gets blamed for everything, doesn't he? He gets blamed for every accident, every disaster. A house burns down. How could God let those children die in that house fire? It broke his heart, don't you know? More times than I, I remember, I've heard somebody say, well, I just can't believe in a God who allows all, all this suffering and pain in this world. Hey, he's the only one who has a remedy. And the reason that sickness and natural disasters are present in this world is because we live in a messed up, jacked up, fallen world. And things go wrong and stuff breaks and people get sick and sometimes they die. And it's all because sin has contaminated everything. It's not God's fault. And that's the kind of thinking that leads a, a person who smoked four pack of cigarettes a day for 30 years to say, God, why did you give me cancer? Well, he didn't give it to you. You gave it to yourself. Blame sin. Blame Satan. Blame our bad choices, but don't blame God for the trouble in our lives. Life is not fair, but God is good. He's nothing but good. So now the question shifts, okay. I'm not sure you're right, but even if you are, why? Why does God allow me to experience this unbearable pain and pressure? We, we may never know the answer to that question on this side of glory. When you get to heaven, if that's how you want to spend your time asking God questions like that, feel free. i got bigger fish to catch. But I know this. Observation number three. Facing the breaking point teaches me that I can't make it alone. We can't make it alone. Remember now, remember what we, Paul said back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We saw it just a moment ago. Paul knew the purpose of his hardships. He said, I know all this is happening. As a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. In the Greek it says he will constantly rescue us. Paul says, I know why this is happening. So that I learn not to depend on me and my strength and my skill and my knowledge and my ability. But to depend on God. And even if it kills me, he raises the dead. In fact, he has saved us from death. And guess what? We're going to be back in that situation again. And he'll save us again. That's where God wants us to move to when pain and suffering come into our lives. We, we have to confess we can't make it without God. Paul said, I, I didn't think I was going to live through it. I honestly did not think I would live through it. But then he said, you know what? Even if I die, God raises the dead. So I might as well stick with him. I might as well lean on him and depend on him. You know what? 
what I wonder. I, how do people face difficult times without the Lord? Gosh, I don't know. I can't, I can't figure it out. I, I'm not even sure how people face everyday life without God, much less trouble and pain and trial. But guess what? They do. They're out there. They're in our communities. They're where we work and go to school. They're in our neighborhoods. Maybe even in our own families. Those people are out there everywhere. And our message to them should be, yes, God does sometimes allow pressure, the pressures of life to push us beyond the breaking point. So we will seek Him. So we will look to Him and look for Him. Paul said, I couldn't have made it without God. I'd be dead by now. We can't make it without God and we, we can't make it without the help of others. When people, when we reach our breaking point, you know what our first thought is? Oh, I can do this. I can handle this. I, I can tough this out by myself. And then we find out we can't. And in fact, we find out that, that calling on the Lord means calling on His people. Part of trusting the Lord with our pain is to seek the help and the prayers of other people. I, I don't know exactly when it happened. I don't know when there was this shift, but when the church first started and for its, its first few years, church was where you went to say, I'm messed up. I need help. I can't make it. I can't do it. And the Bible says that people would sell their houses and their land and they would bring the money and put it at the disciples' feet so that it could be given to those who were in need. And the result was there were no needy persons among them. But somewhere there was a shift. And somewhere along the way, church became a place where when you go, you hide your weakness and your pain and your problem. You cover it up. You don't want anybody to see that. You want them to think that everything is just fine. And so, as we heard John Lynch say a few weeks ago, we put on the mask, don't we? We wear the mask with the smile painted on it that makes it look like everything is great, but behind the mask, we're miserable. I don't know when that happened to the church, but it's time to reverse it. It's time to go back. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, the Bible says, share each other's burdens. King James says, bear ye one another's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. The law of Christ is that we love one another. Love our neighbors, we love ourselves. So we help people by carrying them, helping them carry their burdens. Hurting people need the love and the prayer and the help and the insistence and the encouragement of people who have gone through pain. Maybe not the same pain, but something similar. Maybe not even something similar, but just loss, trouble, struggle. They need people who can share their grief and their pain and their discouragement with them. And they need people who won't condemn them or make them feel ashamed of facing the breaking point. We're, there, we're, we're more there some days than others. 
If New Hope can be that kind of place, we will literally save the lives of countless numbers of people. One final observation. God gives grace to get us through tough times. And thank God for his grace. The the only reason I stand up here in front of you today is because of the grace of God. I thought that might get an amen, but you missed a great opportunity. You know, one might, just, just be patient. One might come around again. You'll get another opportunity to say amen. Probably not today, but in the future. Nah, too late. Told you. I don't accept that. Amen. (laughs) Let me just be honest with you. (laughs) I used to believe God won't put more on you than you can bear. I used to teach that. You stand right in the pulpit, right in front of a Sunday school class, right in a small group, just tell people, God won't put more on you than you can bear. I I I told it just as if it came out of Scripture, but I found out I was telling a lie. You know how I found out I was telling a lie? It was because of what I went through. Because of the pain and the, and the struggle that, that I worked through. Not me, God worked through it in my life. That's how I learned it was a lie. I thought I was losing my mind. God will allow us to suffer more than we can bear so that we depend on Him. But now listen, listen. God will never put more on us than He can bear. Once again, we look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And we find that he had a problem, he had a struggle. That never, apparently never left him. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where he talks about his thorn in the flesh. Listen to what he says. I have received wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Scholars and commentators and people who study this kind of stuff for a living have debated for years what that thorn in the flesh was. Something that was physical. Something that Paul maybe was partially crippled. Um, he was a tent maker by trade and, and they worked with very heavy fabrics and had to sit long hours in awkward positions while they worked the fabric and sewed and sometimes their legs would, would become crippled. Some, some think that he had eye trouble, perhaps some blindness. He tells the Galatians, I know that you love me because you would have given me your eyes if I had asked for them. Also, at the end of Galatians, he says, see with what large letters I am writing this. So some think that maybe he had vision troubles of some kind. We don't know for sure. I, I tend to think that, that it was people. People who caused problems for him and, 
and, and continually harassed him and caused him to suffer hardship and suffering and deprivation. Well, you know what would happen? Paul would go into an area and preach the gospel and Christians, uh, people would come to Christ and, and, and churches would be formed and he would leave and people would come behind him and try to undo all of it. And so they didn't just criticize the message, although they did do that. They criticized Paul. Because Paul wasn't a big man. His name, Saul, his Hebrew name, means small. Then they would say, have you ever seen the guy? I mean, he's not very good looking. And he's not a great speaker. And, and you know what? Even Peter said, some of his writings are hard to understand. People would try to undo what he, he had done. And he, he was constantly having to go back or write letters or send people. Whatever his thorn in the flesh was it, was, it was something that tormented him. It caused him pain constantly. But the truth is, we don't know precisely what it was. And I, I think that's on purpose. I think it's meant to be like men's socks, one size fits all. Right? Because no matter what you're going through or what you're facing, we can relate to what Paul has to say. Three times he begged God, take it away. Please, God, take it away. Take it away. But God said, no, this thorn is for a reason. And, and my grace is sufficient for you. My, my grace is all you need in this situation. And it made Paul depend on God rather than on himself. And he learned to live with the thorn. popular book from a few years ago was entitled Tough Times Never Last But Tough People Do. Maybe you remember that book. I never really liked that title because it suggested if we are tough enough we can get ourselves through tough times. But then just the title itself, Tough Times Never Last? Well, I'm sorry, sometimes they do. Sometimes that thorn is never taken away. How about an inmate with a life sentence? Try telling him that tough times never last. Try telling a father who loses a 14-year-old son that tough times never last. Try telling pa parents who have a child severely mentally or emotionally or physically disabled that tough times never last. The truth is that tough times sometimes go on and on and on and none of us are tough enough to handle it on our own. You know what we need to learn? We need to learn a little bit about brokenness. To us, if something is broken, it's time to, time to throw it away, isn't it? We break some dishes, we throw them away. We... We break a, a television set. What do we do with it? We get rid of it and go buy a new one. Do you know that in the 50s and 60s there were people that made good living repairing television sets? Now you can't find a TV repair shop. Now it costs as much to buy a new one as it does to repair an old one. So we just throw broken things away. Sometimes we throw away things that aren't even broken. My, my wife's uncle worked for years with the sanitation department in Columbus, Indiana. 
And you would not believe I could start listing stuff that they found in the garbage, stuff on the curb that people had thrown out that still worked perfectly good. And I'm not talking about, you know, little small stuff. I'm talking about trolling motors and, and industrial fans and, and DVD players. Something's broken to us, it's disposable. But listen, to God, brokenness makes us more valuable because he can't use us until we're broken. Think about it. God uses broken things. That, that little boy took five loaves of bread and two fish to Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus blessed it and broke it. He fed thousands of people with it. God's word tells us about a sinful woman who went to Jesus. And she had a, a jar, an alabaster jar. It, it, it represented hundreds, thousands maybe of dollars. It was her savings. It was her 401k, if you want to think about it like that. And she thought Jesus was so valuable and so worthy that she broke that jar. And she anointed Jesus with the contents, the, 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 the perfume, the oil that was in that jar. Even Peter, headstrong, confident, brash, Peter had to be broken before God could use him. Jesus said three times, you'll deny me before the rooster crows. And that's exactly what happened. He was broken. And then Jesus said to him, you feed my sheep. Even the body of Christ had to be broken so that we could be forgiven. God uses broken things. And if I want my life to give God glory, I have to realize I've got to be broken for him to do that. Right? If I always try to tough it out or shake it off, then I'm not broken. We're broken when we know that God will allow us to suffer more than we can bear. But it's okay. Because His grace is sufficient and His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when we are weak, He is strong. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.